Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Negotiation. As we start counting down to the 2022 Winter Games in Beijing, we are going to start mixing in some guests who are playing a pivotal role in what is becoming a national movement to grow the culture of sport in China at a rapid pace. This episode is part one of our two-part series talking with Freddie Bacon, Director of Sport Development at Axis Leisure Management. We talk with Freddie about his experiences running snow sports schools in China and how far the ski hills themselves have come in such a short period of time. We discuss the various methods snow sports is growing in China and the factors that are driving that growth. We talk about what it's like to learn to ski or snowboard in China, diving into everything from costs of lessons, parental involvement, the economics of lessons and how they differ in China, and where China can possibly find enough instructors to meet the huge demand. Enjoy. What happened is as ski resorts started to emerge here, pricing was developed perhaps based on the quality of instruction people were receiving, which back at that time, even if we look 10, 15 years ago when the first resorts were emerging, there really wasn't any certification. And it was basically people that could ski would then be teaching other people to ski based on what they thought was a way to do it. Since then, the amount of certification and qualification and training of instructors has drastically improved. And I actually personally believe that many snow sports schools are grossly undervaluing their instructors and their, their professional skiing snowboard instructors that are trying to make this a career, which there are a growing number of people in China doing that. Home to over 4 billion people, the Asia-Pacific region boasts one of the most powerful consumer markets on the planet. Not only is it home to half the world's under 30 population, but it's also home to more than half the world's internet users. It's a market no globally-minded brand should ignore, but entering markets like China is no easy task. Just ask the likes of Microsoft, Google, Uber, and Facebook. Times are changing, and with the right partners, doors are slowly opening as more and more companies find success expanding into the markets of the Middle Kingdom. I myself spent eight years in China, mostly as a venture capitalist, helping early-stage tech companies enter the Asia-Pacific market successfully. This show is dedicated to uncovering and examining successful China entry and growth strategies by interviewing the people behind those success stories. My name is Todd Embley, and welcome to The Negotiation, brought to you by WPIC Marketing and Technologies. Freddie, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on today. Thanks for having me. Really, really happy to be here. As we usually do, we'd love to have an introduction in yourself and how you ended up doing business in China. Yeah, thanks. Um, so my name's Freddie Bacon, and I'm from the UK. Um, I've been working in the ski industry specifically since 2007. Um, and uh, back in 2014, uh, we I was working in New Zealand, and a colleague of mine had been in touch with uh, a, a business over here about potentially coming to China. Um, and as we sort of looked into it more, uh, we realized it was going to be quite a challenging project. And uh, he asked if I would join him. And then we, we together gathered a team from, from our company in New Zealand. And we came over here and we established a ski school in a brand new resort um, that just was, it was still in the process of construction when we arrived. Um, but we, we built um, their international ski school for them. And that was back in 2014, 2015. I'm interested to know because we, you know, we cover schools. We've talked actual schools, you know, in education. We've talked 
uh, hockey schools. We've talked um, soccer schools or, or football schools. Um, you know, there's there's all kinds. Of, and it's very, very interesting. I think sports is super, super fascinating when it comes to China. It's been there. It hasn't been there. It's part of the culture. It hasn't been part of the culture. It's part of education. It's part of family. It's not. Um, and then, of course, China being such a huge um, fraction, kind of different areas of the country being different cultures, different, you know, different dialects, the whole thing. Right. And and then you've got mountains in one region and you've got plains in the other region. Let's talk a little bit about the specifics of snow sports schools. Okay, so how has the experience been running these schools in China? How is it different than other places you potentially have worked and and run sports schools or know of how they're run in other places of the world? Yeah, it's a really, really interesting question. I think the first point to make is that actually, fundamentally, snow sports schools in China are to all intent and purpose are very similar to, to as you'd find anywhere else in the world. Um, I think what is different with schools in China is perhaps the expectations of students. Um, and I think um, we we often talk about sort of the concept of safety, fun and learning. Uh, and I think perhaps in China with the subtle cultural differences that you, you touched upon there, the emphasis is perhaps more on safety learning and fun being the latter. And and people are, are more more interested in ensuring that they actually have very um, tangible learning outcomes from when they pay money to go into a school to learn something. Uh, whereas I think in other resorts that I've worked globally, uh, from America to Japan and Europe and New Zealand, there's definitely people are paying money to go and have a fun experience. Um, so I think that that's a key difference. Um, the the other difference is in the in the staff. Uh, so perhaps in North America and let's say established ski markets, um, being a being an instructor is is something people choose to do generally when they're very passionate about the sport. Um, it's it's a tool to be able to get yourself a free lift pass, live in a resort town, and be able to enjoy your days off on the mountain. Um, perhaps you know not not work full days and just be able to really enjoy uh, the lifestyle. But in China, um, being an instructor, it, it, there's less there's less passion. I'd, I'd say amongst instructors, it's it's very much viewed as a job. Um, and I think uh, unfortunately, the reality is that it's actually um, it's a, it's a it's a way to make a quick buck without needing to have too many formal qualifications at this stage. And that's something we're working very hard to change and um, develop the emphasis on the importance of certification um, for instructors. Uh, because obviously with higher certification quality, the better products they're going to deliver within their respective schools. And so that's something we as an organization are working very hard on with um, with our partners to increase the certification standard across across snow sports here in China. So often I I hate to say it and I'm I'm guilty of this myself with my kids, but schools of all types and even just after school activities and things, we're we're just trying to keep them busy. And sometimes, you know, we're almost, you know, thinking of them as uh a, you know, a glorified bit of a daycare to give it a break, to get them to do something while, you know, and then even sometimes when we think of up at the ski hills, now I love chasing my kids through the trees and going bushwhacking and, and some things with that. I actually really love skiing with them, but I know that a lot of other parents love to put their kids in the school so they can go and do their own skiing and do it on their own time or potentially, you know, relax at the chalet or something like that. 
what is that culture like with China? When you are working with the kids, where are the parents? What are they up to? Is there a different kind of uh, mode or mandate that you work under providing these services in China? Yeah, it's another really interesting question. Um, and there are huge differences uh, b- between like, other resorts globally. Um, I've worked on lots of kids programs, um, everything from just kids ski school day lessons all the way through to, to week-long camps. Um, and what we have in China uh, across the majority of major resorts here are very similar programs. Um, parents generally buy private lessons for, for their kids here. Group lessons are, are something that aren't, they're not very popular. I think if you were to look at the, the business model of most ski schools globally, group lessons are where the majority of the money is made. Um, in China, people do not want to have um, their kids learning with potential strangers or they don't want to put themselves into a group where there's going to be other members of the public. People definitely want to have a, a more private learning experience. And so I think with that, there's definitely an expectation for for um, increased speed of progression. And what we find often is that parents will want to watch whilst the lesson's taking place. Um, and so uh, I've, I've witnessed this several times where somebody will book the lesson and then basically shadow the instructor the whole way through. But you're absolutely right that parents in, in other places will, will drop the kids off at ski school and then use that opportunity to go and relax in the chalet or, or go skiing themselves. Um, but I do find there's a bit of a, a difference here. And I, it's, it's, again, a cultural difference that uh, I think they're the parents are more more interested in looking at the progression that the child's making than actually going off and enjoying their free time. Uh, and often it's not just the parents, often there's grandparents in tow too. Um, there are winter camp and summer camp products, which I'm sure you've 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 seen as you've been in China for so many years. And they are uh, those products are where the parents will drop the kids off. Uh, at a bus station in Beijing and they will go away for five days or a week and then back to Beijing. Um, and whilst skiing is one of the activities and snowboarding is one of the activities in those camps, there are lots of other activities. And I think they're kind of designed, I think their main purpose is to develop sort of independence in the kids and give them some some other life skills. Um, and so I think in that situation, parents are comfortable to, to let the kids go off on their own. Um, but when they're actually on a family day trip or a family weekend trip to the resorts, it's very important for for many families here to actually remain involved with the lesson and ensure the kids safe and and basically watch their progression. There's a different economic approach in China compared to, I think, here in the West. Like if I'm a parent and I'm going to the, up to the ski hill and I look at that price of a one-on-one lesson... And then I look at the prices for group lessons. And um, now, now, and I will admit my background of being heavily involved in sports growing up, I, I understand that there is a, there's, you know, telling you how to do something and then you practicing it. And then, you know, the instructor course correcting or adding on or evolving and then more practice. And so I, I, I guess maybe I seem to think that there's some value in the group lessons, giving how much cheaper they are versus the one on one. However, I know that the one on one would be far more valuable. I just don't know if I see the ROI on spending for private one on one versus group. Now, in China, given that they far 
prefer the one-on-one because they don't want the distraction. They want them. Does Is there no price correction on the menu so that you can, if, if, if you're, you know, if the money is really made through the group lessons, you know, is there, is there no ability to, to price correct or is that, that's still in progress and it is still happening because that is a different market where there's so much more demand for the one-on-one is there price increases? Is it priced higher than it would be in North America, for instance? Yeah. So another really good question there. And I think the first thing I can say is that I have data from um, multiple resorts that shows that 97% of all lessons sold are one-on-one private lessons and then 3% being other and group. So compared to, to other markets, the, the difference is it's just night and day. Um, so it's it's almost all lessons taught in China are private. Um, with regards to the price, there's no that the, the we're actually it's a, it's a strange situation where um, there's a bit of disparity between pricing in in China in Chinese resorts versus what you would expect to find in European and North American resorts, in the sense that lift pass prices here are very expensive and uh, uh, sort of on par with with perhaps French resorts. Uh, but if you look at Japan, lift pass prices are much cheaper than they are in China. However, in Japan, a ski instructor uh, for a full day private would be uh, or more than double the price of what a ski instructor is uh, for a full day private in China. Um, and I think, I think what happened is as ski resorts started to emerge here, Pricing was developed perhaps based on the quality of instruction people were receiving, which back at that time, even if we look 10, 15 years ago when the first resorts were emerging, there really wasn't any certification. And it was basically people that could ski would then be teaching other people to ski based on what they thought was a way to do it. Um, Since then, the amount of certification and qualification and training of instructors has drastically improved. Um, And I actually personally believe that many snow sports schools are grossly undervaluing their their instructors and their particularly their professional professional skiing snowboard instructors that are trying to make this a career, of which there are um, a growing number of people in China doing that. That number of, what was it, 97% are one-on-one? 97%, yeah. That is incredible. So the one thing that I start thinking about next is how is there possibly enough instructors to permit for for a school or a a a sports uh, or a snow hill, uh, you know, a ski hill to be able to provide that many one on one lessons? Yeah, that's great. Uh, it's it's true. There are times in winter uh, in most resorts where I think. They could perhaps triple, quadruple the number of instructors they have, and still and still have demand. Particularly with the larger resorts that are now sort of seeing six, seven, eight thousand skier visits a day. Lots of these resorts will have anywhere between 150 and 300 instructors. Busy days over you know, national holidays and perhaps some of the peak season weekends. They will sell all of those instructors in one day. There are some operational differences and some slightly odd nuances here in the fact that. Customers very much dictate to schools as and when they go out on their lessons. Um, and this is some, one of the projects I'm involved in now. We're actually trying to to portray a bit of a different story to our customers and, and to help us manage the business slightly better and actually have lessons going out at set times or, or within a certain time period. Because what happens is a customer will turn up at the snow sports school desk 
at 11.30 and then want to have a three-hour lesson. Um, and what that does with that time period is it basically takes that one instructor out of out of action to be able to teach any other lessons in that day. And so you're only getting three hours worth of value from that one instructor. And by the time he or she comes back from their lesson, it's too late in the day to sell another lesson. Um, whereas if that lesson had gone out earlier in the morning, then of course you would have been able to service another customer in the afternoon and get more people going through the snow sports school. So there's definitely some operational uh, reasons for for needing so many instructors. And it, it, the flip side to that is you could actually reduce your headcount, um, but deliver perhaps the same, if not more, more lessons to to customers. The number of private lessons is is huge, but I think um, it's important to mention that there are actually uh, in, there are group programs that happen. Um, as you know, the, the central government here is looking to get 300 million winter sports participants. Uh, and in, in doing so, what the, what, what's happened in a lot of um, provinces is the local governments are getting school kids. Um, and what's fantastic about this is it's often school kids from fairly um, disadvantaged or, or less affluent areas to go to a ski resort and have a ski experience. Um, and what that ski experience looks like is generally arrive at the resort in the morning, get, get the rentals, um, meet your instructor and go out on snow for the morning, come back in, have a lunch, bit of play in the afternoon and then back out on snow before going back to, to school. So it's a really great sort of full day ski or snowboard um, snow experience for these kids. And at one point I was involved with the resort and we were doing, we were, we were having 5,000 kids from local schools arrive every day. Sorry, 500 kids a day, um, five, <laughs> 500 a month. Um, Still a lot. Yeah. Uh, we, we were doing huge, huge numbers and, and the amount of instructors we needed just to, just to be able to take care of, of that kids program um, was, yeah, it was a big operation to manage. I bet. Yeah, still so many questions. I I remember the first time, the very first day I went snowboarding, that's not a day that I would like to go back and revisit. So for these kids that are being brought up for that one day, if, you know, if they've never done it before, not maybe maybe not the best sales tactic on getting them in, you know, two two three days. I could see when you're finally not going down the hill on your butt the whole time. Um yeah. but you know, I I I could see that and that's that's very. It's a very interesting approach. No, you're, you're you're absolutely right. There, this is a this is a global issue. Um, you you think about skiing being fun, and snowboarding being fun, and there's often the expectation versus reality are very different. I think for somebody that's not been to the mountains before, there's an expectation in their head of beautiful blue sky, gliding down the mountain, wind in your face, you know, lovely lovely alpine restaurants and beautiful food and wine. Um, the reality is when you get to a resort, and, and I say this is a real, this is a global issue, it's not anything specifically related to China, is that often you end up in a line to buy a lift pass. And then you end up in another line to get your rental gear. Um, and then if you're going to the snow sports school, perhaps there's a line there that you need to wait. And by the time you actually get on snow, you've potentially been through a huge amount of stress, lots of queuing, um, you, you may have not known exactly where or when you needed to go. Um, and the whole process could have been quite stressful. And then, of course, you go outside and you strap either a, a plank of wood to both feet or you clip into to two 
skis and your feet are sliding all over the place. Uh, and suddenly you're going, this is actually very, very difficult. Um, I'm not sure how much fun this is. And there's all of these these things as you go through, which, you know, and then obviously you, you potentially fall over and you go, ouch, this this is really, I've just spent $5,000 to bring my family here for a week. And going off the first three hours of this experience, I want a refund, of which I can't get a refund. Um, and so that expectation versus reality is where uh, resorts um, need, need to kind of, this is where a lot of the focus is going into staff training, is how do we how do we ensure retention and when these customers come? And in the first-time market is the biggest market. Um, it's, it, it's the market that you need to retain and ensure that they come back, uh, building a future business. Uh, but as I say, often the experience versus reality is so different and in that process, that's where resorts globally lose lose customers and, and the retention and the overall participation of winter sports um, isn't what it could be based on experiences. So I may have not explained that very well. No, I think you did. It was it was interesting because I was just thinking back and, and making a bit of a tongue in cheek uh, comment, uh, which led to, I think, a very kind of real understanding of a, of a morning in the life of somebody coming for the first time. And this is very true. This is the expectation. You know, you have these expectations of what you've seen in the movies and then you get there. And I mean, you're lucky if it's not snowing. I mean, this is generally winter conditions after all, and you are on a mountain. So uh, wind and snow and inclement weather is the norm usually. So, um, and then it is a hard thing to do and, and get used to. And it's not, it's not like you're utilizing, it's not like you're learning soccer or basketball where you can generally get away with using functioning muscle memory that you <laughs> learned for just generally getting around in life. This is, this is actually quite different and it's all new. So it's not easy. Is there, and I, I'm, I say this with all the love in the world, but sometimes, you know, the perception is, is that parents in the East can be somewhat overbearing. Um, and I think this is, um, a, you know, a kind of a, a bit of a, you know, from the wild one child policy that used to be in effect. Um, it was just, you know, all that love, all the attention, all the anxiety, you know, all the hopes and dreams uh, for, for what your child can be are kind of land on that one set of shoulders. And, you know, so then, you know, I'm, I'm wondering how does that manifest itself when it comes to skiing or, or ski schools and snowboard schools and snow sports schools? What are you potentially noticing, you know, uh, in how, you know, parents are looking, in, you know, out for what they're going to get out of putting their kids into those? And, you know, how, how are those? What are the expectations? How do you manage their expectations? You know, you have this client customer kind of relationship where, you know, the customer is the parents, but the client are the children. And, you know, how what does that kind of look like and how do you manage that? Yeah, there is a, there is a huge piece to play uh, on managing expectations, and I think aligning expectations from from before going out on snow. Uh, something I've witnessed a lot um, in multiple resorts here is a client, whether it be a parent or an adult, taking a lesson, saying to the coach or the instructor, "I want to go to the top of the mountain," and. What I've unfortunately seen all too many times is that coach being slightly um, unconfident, perhaps, and not willing to turn around to the customer and say, no, that is not what we're going to do. 
and they often want to please the customer as best they can and take the customer to the top of the mountain. Um, and the customer may say, well, I want to ski down there. I'm paying you. Therefore, you need to get me to ski down there. And then they start skiing down the slope that they should not be on on their first day or second day skiing or snowboarding. Um, and of course, have an all-time awful experience. And then, in many cases, turn around and blame the coach. And there's this very vicious circle of kind of the cultural issue of uh, staff, employees not wanting to let the customer down or disagree with the customer. Um, but then also on the customer side is is wanting this to be able to achieve something that's you know would usually take a long time, but instantly. Um, and it can often be for the perhaps silly reason of taking a selfie on top of the mountain. Um, and so that there are ways to manage this. But I think um, what, what we've done in the past is we've actually said to instructors, right, you take your students up there, but you don't take ski equipment or snowboard equipment with you. And so you go up on the gondola, you take your photos or selfies, and then you take the gondola back down. Um, and we actually, in one of the schools I was working at, we actually had to implement quite strict um, staff performance measures to to ensure that they were not, we call it overtraining, taking students onto terrain that they shouldn't be on because it was happening all too often and our injury rates were high. Um, but also then on the other side is that is the complaints customers go, well, you know, this is awful. Your instructors aren't very good. And it actually has nothing to do with the quality of instruction. It's the situation that's been created by them wanting to go ski down a slope or snowball down a slope that was far above their ability level. Um, and I think I, I think the, the key cultural difference here perhaps in China and um, North America and Europe is if, if an instructor said to a student, no, you, we're not going up there because it's dangerous, then that would be received and understood by the customer. Um, but I've seen all too many times here where that's not the case and still go, no, no, up you go. Um, and just really, I think it's that, um, I don't know how to describe it, but uh, striving for excellence it's a mentality i think people really want to achieve um, and be successful in everything they do um, and so it's not necessarily always a bad thing but uh, when safety is involved it's definitely something that needs to be considered more so in resorts across china i know that in north america and just because i'm familiar with more north america and you might be able to speak more to europe or emia but skiing as well as hockey and some other sports, especially when it comes to winter, are somewhat cost prohibitive for everybody to be able to enjoy, which is why you see just so many more participants in summer sports or, or sports like like soccer or basketball and baseball and things, things that can be enjoyed by more people in more areas of the world for drastically less um, upfront costs in equipment or facility rentals or, or usage. What does that look like in China? Is, is there still a cost barrier to more and more people being able to enjoy snow sports? Yeah, I'd say that it's very similar here um, to, to anywhere else in the world in terms of the, the cost barrier. Um, what uh, and you know I don't have data support to support this, but I would almost think that it's perhaps even more so um, the divide here between the customers at resorts and the employees. 
uh, in terms of you know incomes is is absolutely huge. Uh, and if you go to resorts, you look at the car parks. The car parks are you know, all very nice cars, um, similar to what you would find in North America and and a lot of European resorts. Um, that is the major resorts. However, I do think what's being done very well in China is is there are areas being created that are more mass market, where they don't they don't charge a fortune. They can package together lift rentals and an instructor for a very affordable price. And these are the sorts of places that um, government groups or businesses and schools can send mass amounts of students to experience snow sports. Um, the, the challenge there is that I think whilst there's lots of experience going on and there's lots of people that are being able to to actually go to the mountain and ski, it's it's that retention piece. How, how do we get those people coming back? Um, and if there is an economic difference, how are they able to actually become lifelong skiers and snowboarders and winter sport participants? Um, and I think perhaps the market here is a little bit too immature to to really make a sound sort of judgment on this situation. Uh, and post-Olympics is going to be really interesting to see what happens. Does skiing and snowboarding continue to grow um, or will the hype around it kind of soften off? And in that case, uh, then perhaps the divide between who the, you know, the cost barrier, perhaps that will grow um, or perhaps resorts will need to, to change their business models and chase more numbers rather than yield. And if that's the case, then, then maybe you will see more people getting into snow sports. But I would say that as, as is the case anywhere else in the world, it is a hugely expensive process to go skiing. Um, and particularly if you have a family, even for a weekend to go to the resorts, by the time you've covered hotel, um, lift passes, it's, it's not a cheap endeavor. Um, and so whilst there are millions of people in China that can afford that, there's also yeah, millions that can't. Um, and I think what would be great is for the, for the resorts and for you know, the partners we work with, we, we, we do think that there is an element of community responsibility. Um, and, it's uh, it, it, if you, if it's done right and the experience is good, skiing and snowboarding, uh, uh, you know yourself, they're, they're fantastic things to be a part of. And um, we would love to be uh, to be able to be involved in getting more um, less less affluent individuals into the sport um, and and finding out and looking to work on sustainable ways to continue that and and ensure that we can have mass participation. I will say this: as a parent, my children are eight and ten. And I do push, ask, plead for them to enjoy two things, two sports, and that is golf and skiing or snowboarding. And the reason is that uh, we can enjoy those two things um, almost our entire lives and we can do them together as a family. I am not the taxi driver that I usually am for baseball, hockey, gymnastics, piano. Um, it is something we can ride in a golf cart. We can sit on the tee box. We can be on the chair. We can eat lunch. I can chase them down the hill and through the trees. And I can participate and enjoy almost every ounce of that experience and that day. And it's a day that we spend together as a family doing something active. And for those reasons, I absolutely love it. So uh, rant over. That's just my little PSA to those that have uh, our parents have young children. Do we see that happening in China? 
yeah, that's that that's what is happening now. Uh, people people are realizing just the the you know, the, the huge amounts of fun and for all the reasons you just mentioned there that this is something that you can do all winter uh, in groups, whether that group be family or groups of friends. Um, and that's something we're seeing a huge amount of emergence is the um, is clubs, ski and snowboard clubs, or even just snow sports clubs, where people are getting together with mutual interests and they're working together with the resorts then to to negotiate on things like hotel rooms and pricing and they're making it a bit more accessible for the whole club so they can go skiing and snowboarding more and you see this this group culture i think is is really is really emerging and people having fun together um just like you mentioned there with your family Great. Thanks for entertaining that, that little dalliance. But um, it's something that I've come to the realization of. Wouldn't have thought of it before I had kids. And then once I became a glorified taxi driver, then I started to realize, hey, I think we need to shift gears in a couple areas so that we can spend more time to, as a family whilst still maintaining this active lifestyle. That's it for part one of our chat with Freddie Bacon, Director of Sport Development at Access Leisure Management. Be sure to tune in next week when we talk all about Freddie's current initiative, the Burton Snowboard Academies, how technology is being used to improve customer experiences at ski hills in China, and his thoughts on the upcoming 2022 Winter Olympics and the impact it's had on the world of snow sports in China. Growing a company is hard. Doing it in a foreign market? Exponentially so. The best piece of advice I can give you is not to do it alone. When you start looking across the pond for further expansion possibilities, and I sincerely hope that you do, make sure you choose the right partners to do it with. My good friends at WPIC Marketing and Technologies have almost 20 years of experience helping brands just like yours enter China. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Negotiation. And if you're interested in being a guest or want to connect with me or any of our team, please reach out to us at podcast at WPIC.co. And be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Zai Jing.